All right. I want to look again at Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And uh, we're continuing Sunday's sermon uh, with teaching on how to break the flesh through fasting and through prayer. Breaking the flesh and uh, its desires. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. In the month of February, we're focusing on a time of renewal. And we have right here the recipe for spiritual renewal. And that is to humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God, turn from our wicked ways. Then the promise is that God will hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our lands. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us during this time of study tonight. Let us gain greater understanding and greater depth in, uh, the, in our understanding of the word. And we pray, Jesus, uh, that uh, as we take this time to consecrate ourselves and commit ourselves to you and to make vows and to push away from the table and to spend time in your presence, Lord God, that we would recognize and take full advantage of the spiritual impact of this decision to allow ourselves to be spiritually renewed. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you and you may be seated. Last week when we were talking during our midweek service, about the importance after the Passover of getting all the leaven out of the house and having bread without leaven. This signified the importance of getting rid of sin. Sin is like leaven. And we said last week and then Sunday that leaven puffs up. Leaven puffs up the bread. Yeast puffs up the bread. And sin causes us to be puffed up. And you've seen it before that... uh, um, people who become rebellious and distance forms between them and God and uh, all of a sudden they become puffed up and can't nobody tell them anything. They got it all figured out. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, you try to witness to them and, and they've got the, the world by the tail, they think. Because leaven puffs up and we've got to get rid of everything that puffs up because we've got to start by humbling ourselves. We must humble ourselves in order for spiritual renewal to come. And the way that the flesh is humbled, as we said on Sunday, is through fasting. Psalm 35 and 13, again it says, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. I used fasting to humble my soul. And then in Ezra 8.21, in the NIV, it says, that Ezra said, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God. In other places, um, the, in, in Daniel, when he talked about fasting, he said, I uh, afflicted my flesh. This is humbling your flesh. It's bringing it down. It's abasing your flesh. Taking it off of the throne and allowing God to be replaced on the throne. And that's why fasting has to be done with the right attitude and the right mindset. We can't fast to show off how spiritual we are. Because if we're doing that, then we're puffed up. And anything that puffs up is a problem. And so fasting is to remove the leaven. That's why in, in uh, uh, the, the passage in Matthew, it tells us when we fast, don't do it for attention. Don't do it in such a way that everybody can notice you're fasting. Because what would happen? This is how the Pharisees did their thing. The Pharisees, when they were fasting, they would come out and their hair would be all messed up and they would be just struggling around. And people are like, oh, are you fasting? How'd you guess? They purposefully wanted everybody to know when they were fasting. These are the same people that also when they would pray, they would pray on the street corners. And they would try to be so eloquent to impress people by how spiritual and pious they were. These are the same people that when they would give, 
they would have somebody sound a trumpet. And they would give their big offering, and everybody's like, ah, oh, look, they're big givers. See, this was what Jesus was talking about in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 6. This is religious, uh, religious practices puffed up. And he said that we should do it in such a way that we get the benefit from it. And the benefit of giving and prayer and the benefit of fasting is it brings renewal. It brings spiritual renewal to us. But when we do it for attention, it does not work. It brings no renewal. It only brings recognition. And as Jesus said, well, you got your reward. If people noticed it and they're proud of you for what you gave or proud of you for your prayer, proud of you for your fasting, then that's your reward. You don't get any spiritual renewal. So spiritual renewal is the objective, and spiritual renewal starts with humbling ourselves and breaking ourselves. Is everybody with me? You got that now. So fasting is humbling yourself, and humbling yourself is significant. Fasting is embracing emptiness and starving pride and haughtiness and things that appeal to the flesh. Fasting is, in essence, withdrawing from normal life in the regular world, emptying ourselves, emptying ourselves, broken and spilled, not just of food, but emptying ourselves of anything else we crave or seek or require other than the face of Jesus Christ, other than him. Fasting, what does it do? It is an expression of our hunger for God and how serious we are about hearing from God, hearing his voice, and following his ways. Amen? It shows that you're serious about it. It shows you're serious about hearing from God. I mean, there's, everybody wants to hear from God, but every once in a while you get serious about hearing from God. Amen? This is, this is true across the board with prayer, with giving. It shows that we are serious about our commitment, serious about our relationship with God. But with fasting, somehow it's able to clear our ears out spiritually. And where we couldn't hear from God, all of a sudden we become more sensitive to God. We said last week it also unclogs the drain of spiritual blessing, unclogs the flow of spiritual blessing into our life. When we empty of ourselves, have you ever heard of the, 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 the statement before, he's so full of himself? You've heard of that before? What does that mean? That means somebody who's full of pride, somebody who thinks so highly of themselves. You've got to empty yourself so that you can be full of him. And the only way you can get you out of you is you've got to be broken because the shell is holding the you in. And when the shell is broken, when the flesh is broken, then out spills you so that God can fill that space. And then all of a sudden you can hear with God's ears. And you're elevated to a place where you can see with God's eyes. And it's something that God wants for us because we're born of the Spirit. He has a specific plan for our lives, but we can't get there until we're broken and spilled and then with God refilled. When we empty of ourselves, we get his eyes, ears, and voice, and we begin to see how he sees. And uh, after, after humbling ourselves and seeking his face, we can then turn from compromise, and we can turn from living a double life, and we can live in victory, and we can live spiritually as overcomers. Now, when you are fasting, God will reveal to you the areas of your life that are eating away at your soul like a cancer. You're not going to recognize them otherwise. But as you're fasting, God will begin to reveal things in your life that are eating away at you spiritually. I want to tell you today that fasting and prayer breaks every chain. Fasting and prayer breaks every chain. Isaiah 58 and 6, is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, 
to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke, uh, every yoke. This is the fast. This is the fast that the Lord has chosen. It is a fast where liberty, where chains are broken, where deliverance transpires. And I know that there's a double meaning as you read back in Isaiah. It's talking about why are you fasting and you still have people enslaved. But the reality is fasting ought to bring about deliverance. And you say, well, I'm, I ain't got no chains. Well, praise God. High five. You ain't got no chains. But there's people around you that have chains. And the fast is not just to release you, but it's to release other people. And there is power through prayer and fasting to break chains. Amen? I believe that with all of my heart. That when we're praying and fasting, there are people in this community that we don't even know. That spiritually there are chains that they can't get out of. And situations that are hopeless that they're bound up in. But when the church of the living God in faith begin to get serious about hearing the voice of God and getting a hold of God, that through fasting and prayer, this is the fast that he's chosen because God doesn't want anybody bound by heroin. God doesn't want anybody bound by pornography addiction. And God doesn't want anybody bound up by sexual sins. And God doesn't want anyone bound up by alcoholism. It's the will of God to set people free. And this is the fast that he has chosen to set people free to loose the bands of wickedness and to undo the heavy burdens when we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face he promises that he will hear from heaven and you're going to hear us transitioning because this sunday our focus is on prayer but we're here in the transition because fasting is not just a time where we stop eating but it's a time where we focus on God and we begin to pray and seek the face of God. What is the face of God? The face of God is relationship. Oftentimes we seek the hand of God. The hand of God is his ability to help us, to perform things for us, his mighty acts. But when we humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God, then he hears from heaven. That means during this time of fasting and prayer, I know there's things that, that, that you would like to see God do in your life. I know there's prayers that you want answered, things that you've been asking God for. But what about, what about just seeking the face of God, seeking a relationship with him? And we've heard some great sermons over the last few weeks uh, oh, about the power of relationship and the need for us to have a relationship with God and how he wants to have a relationship with us. When we begin to seek the face of God, then we will hear from heaven and then he begins to move. Amen? I wonder if sometimes by us just seeking the hand of God, we're missing the point. And when we seek the face of God, it brings about the results, amen? When we begin to seek after God and love him and get in relationship with him. But here's the deal. Guess what's fighting your relationship with God? Your flesh. Your flesh. Your flesh. If you don't believe that, your flesh will do anything but pray, right? Well, as soon as you start praying, your flesh will act up and resist and fight. Because your flesh does not want to pray. And that's why fasting is significant because it breaks the flesh and enables you to, after you're humbled, to seek the face of God. And then he begins to work on our behalf and miracles and signs can begin to happen in our life. Amen. Praise God. So when you are empty... This is profound right here. When you are empty, you get hungry. Somebody say hallelujah. And one thing I've learned is that the Bible teaches that fasting and prayer, it teaches by example that fasting and prayer lead to divine connections. Divine connections. Have you ever met somebody and after you meet them, you're like, that wasn't just a coincidence. God had a purpose there. Fasting and prayer makes us sensitive and leads to 
divine connections because when we pray and fast, we plug in to God's connection of his plans and resources and power. We connect to God's plans, to his strength, his power, and his resources. Now in Esther chapter 4 verse 14, when God was about to use Esther to uh, supernaturally deliver the people of Israel, it says, for if thou will hold your peace at this time, then uh, their enlargement and deliverance shall arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knowest whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai was saying, do you think maybe that there's a purpose to what's happening and it's not just coincidences? You're a praying young lady. I'm your uncle. I've been praying for you. Could it be that you're in the castle? Could it be that you're the queen for such a time as this? Maybe that's why you were selected in the first place, because God has a plan for you. And when she heard that, she said, let's fast and let's pray. (laughs) Let's get ready to see if God will use my connections and my position to bring about deliverance. Now, in the the New Testament, the book of Acts, there was a, a man that was a Gentile named Cornelius. He was not a Hebrew. He did not uh, come from the Jewish tradition, but he believed in God and he was hungry for God. The Bible says he was so hungry that he would sincerely pray, seek the face of God, give alms, help people that had need. He was a very sincere man and his prayers went up as a memorial to God. So here's a man named Cornelius who is not a Jew. Jew. He doesn't have the Holy Ghost. He's never been baptized in Jesus' name probably doesn't really know the full story of Jesus, but he loves God, he's sincere, and he's doing lots of praying because he's hungry for God. And across in another community is a man named Peter. And Peter is in prayer as well. Peter is out on, on the veranda, if you would, and he is praying and seeking the face of God, and all of a sudden he has a vision And in this vision, God brings down this blanket with all manner of animals that are unclean for Jews to eat. And the Lord said, arise, kill, and eat. Peter said, I'll never eat because it's unclean. And then the Lord said, what I've called clean, you can no longer call unclean. And uh, Peter's like trying to figure all this out, trying to figure all this out. And all of a sudden, somebody knocks on the door. Somebody knocks on the door. And the knock on the door is from the house of Cornelius because God had revealed to Cornelius, go get a hold of Peter, amen? Because there's a man named Peter that dwells in Joppa. He's gonna tell you everything that you need to do to be saved. Let me tell you right now, there are people in this community that are hungry for God. We have no clue who they are. There are people that are praying and crying out to God. Some of them are hungry because they're tired of the life that they've been living. Some of them are hungry because their, their lives are a mess. Some of them are hungry because they're sincere spiritual people that want more of God, but they're crying out to God. They're hungry. I wonder if there's some hungry people in life church, amen, that can cry out to God and through fasting and prayer, God can bring about divine connections with those that need God and those that are hungry for God and those that can be used powerfully for God. Amen? Amen, amen. I, I look out over the, the congregation on a Sunday and, uh, and on a Tuesday night, and I, I see people that are in the church involved in serving and loving God and, and growing and making a difference in their world and discipling other people. And I remember when they were not in church and the first time they came to church and they just came right out of the world. And, uh, and, uh, but there was somebody that was there that was hungry for God and they showed up and God transformed them. And, and people like Brother Robert back there, you've heard his testimony. I just wonder how many more Roberts are there out there that are hungry for God, people that can make a difference, people that God's going to use powerfully that are hungry for God right now. And I believe that hunger attracts hunger. Amen. 
I believe that when we get spiritually hungry and when we hunger after God and when we draw close to him, it's going to attract other people that are hungry. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see some people get the Holy Ghost in this house. I'm ready to see some people born again of the water and the spirit, and I'm hungry for it. I wonder if there's anybody else that's hungry to see God do what he wants to do. Praise God. Hallelujah. Saul was an enemy of the church. Not King Saul. Saul that would later become the Apostle Paul. He was an enemy of Christ. He persecuted the church. And after, while he was on his way to Damascus to imprison and harass Christians, he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus. The light shone shone in his eyes and he was blinded. And after this encounter on the road to Damascus, he went into Damascus, he was still blinded. And for three days in Damascus, he went into fasting and prayer. And while he was in Damascus, this former Christian persecutor, while he was in Damascus, there was a man in Damascus named Ananias that was praying too. He was getting a hold of God. And God spoke directly to, to Ananias and gave him a vision and said, I want you to go to where this man Saul is. I want you to connect with him, and I want you to embrace him. What would have happened if Ananias hadn't been sensitive to God? What would have happened? Because all the Christians hated Saul because he had thrown their brothers and sisters and family members in prison had some of them stoned, consented to their deaths. What would have happened if God hadn't spoke to Ananias? I believe, I believe with all of my heart that there are people, people that we would have never imagined would even love Jesus, could even become a part of the church, could ever make a difference, that have the potential of an apostle Paul. But when we first see them, there's going to have to be somebody that's sensitive enough to God and connected in prayer and fasting enough to go and embrace that person and show them love and begin to mentor them and begin to pour into them. Praise God. I'm so thankful there was somebody like Ananias. We don't hear that much about him. We hear a lot about Apostle Paul, but I'm so glad that there was somebody that was sensitive to God, somebody that was plugged in in prayer and fasting. Are there other Pauls that are out there waiting for us to connect. But when we don't fast and when we don't pray, we don't connect with God's assignment. And this is another thing that was happening during those three days of fasting and prayer that, the, that, that Saul of Tarsus went through before he became the Apostle Paul is he was connecting with God's assignment. What do you think Jesus was doing for 40 days in the wilderness? He was connecting with the divine assignment. And whenever, I'm telling you right now, listen to the word of God right now. Whenever we break the flesh during times of fasting and prayer, whenever we seek the face of God, we get connected to divine assignment. God's got a plan and a purpose for you, and it's not just to flounder and uh, doggy paddle and make no difference and feel like you're insignificant. But when we pray and fast, we connect uh, to God's assignment. It becomes clear to us. Uh, We begin to see it. We begin to feel empowered to do what God's called us to do. The voice of the enemy that's been hemming us in and causing us to feel insignificant and unimportant begins to grow more and more dim. And the voice of Jesus Christ, which says, I've called you, I've anointed you to be a witness. I've anointed you to be an apostle. I've anointed you to make a difference in this world. We connect with God's assignment when we fast and pray. Because fasting is the plug that plugs us in to God's resources. Prayer, I'm sorry, prayer and fasting becomes the plug that plugs us in to God's resources. Now, on the practical side, fasting's inconvenient. Can I get an amen, somebody? To the people that have been Googling Daniel fast recipes and driving past Starbucks, and McDonald's and muttering under your breath negative things about Pastor Brown when, when you drive by. Fasting's inconvenient. But it's a choice to break the allure of this world and put our flesh 
under submission. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 4. I want to read several verses here. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So as a result of this, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. So fasting's not a hilarious time. It's not an exciting time. It's not your favorite time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year when the Daniel fast starts and the juice fast follows up and everybody gets mad. It's not. It's not a happy, clappy time. It's a time of afflicting ourselves, crying out to God, mourning, emptying ourselves, repenting over and over again, asking God to cleanse us. Why? Because we're rebooting, we're renewing, we're doing a system restore. We're taking the corruption out. We're cleaning out all of the yeast. Uh, It's a time, amen, where we allow God to cleanse us uh, so that he can renew us, uh, so that his purpose can be done. Praise God. I I, I shared with you, I believe it was a couple weeks ago, I want to remind you again that um, that, uh, in the... uh, chicken or in the egg industry they practice forced molting forced molting molting is when an animal sheds its fur or feathers and with the uh chicken in the egg industry which you guys know that the egg industry comes from chickens right okay you're like don't talk about chicken or eggs right now so the egg industry The chickens lay a certain amount of eggs per month. And after a period of time, their productivity begins to wane and they produce less and less eggs per month. And so at a particular season, they practice forced molting. They force the animals to shed their feathers, the chickens to shed their feathers. And the way they do this is they withhold feed. They torment these poor animals. They withhold feed for 7 to 14 days. And it causes them to go in the process of molting. It shuts down their reproductive track. So it seems like it's counterproductive right now. You got to get this right now. It doesn't seem to be very productive It doesn't seem to be very successful or effective. In fact, you've shut down the reproductive tract. But it's only temporary. And then when the new feathers come forth, the reproductive system re-engages. But in the process, there's been a healing and a purging and a cleansing that's taken place. And all of a sudden, the productivity is back to the top again. And this is what times of fasting and prayer do in our life because over time we become less productive less effective we become dull as we were talking about on sunday but fasting is a time where we pause and afflict ourselves no i don't don't want you to get a whip and go beat on yourself fasting's good enough fasting is good enough and everybody said amen your flesh resists Your flesh gets mad. Your flesh says no. Your flesh fights back. But what are you doing? Something's going to come out of this. And you may not feel like you're very victorious spiritually in the middle of the fast. In fact, you may feel like you're losing ground in the middle of the fast. I want you guys to get this right now because some people, they're fasting and they're like, I don't feel closer to God at all. I I can't even pray. 
This may be what happens during that period. But it is a spiritual purging and cleansing that brings us to renewed productivity and renewed spirituality. It is a choice to break from the world and put our flesh under subjection. It cleanses and purifies our heart. It focuses our thoughts on things above instead of on the things of this world. Anybody know that start, notice that starting to happen? And it's not easy breaking the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. And you get to choose which one you are empowering. And through fasting and prayer, you are choosing to empower the spirit in your life. Somebody shout amen. Now let me tell you that when you're fasting, you're going to feel like giving up. You're going to feel like, ah, that's enough. See, Jesus experienced that during his 40-day fast. So why would you think that you wouldn't experience it? You're going to feel like giving up. Sometimes while you're fasting, it feels like it's not working. But don't give up. Fasting is waiting on the Lord. And when you wait on the Lord, amen, somebody said great things. Great things are going to happen when you wait on the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Now, Leonard Ravenhill says, Today, God is bypassing men not because they are too ignorant, but because they are too self-sufficient. Our abilities become our handicaps, and our talents become our stumbling blocks. When we choose or seek to rely on our strength, on our capability, on our human skills, even to do ministry, even to be used of God, then we're going to fall short. Fasting is a recognition that I need God flowing through me. And the only way this can happen is through the breaking of the flesh. Fasting and prayer prepare and condition your spirit to go the distance in life's battles. In fasting... I think it's important to determine the length of your fast before you start rather than just say, well, I'm just going to fast until I don't feel like fasting anymore. That one's not going to last too long, is it? It's important to determine the length and then stick to it and make up your mind you're going to succeed and remain faithful for the full length that you determine because there's spiritual discipline that's coming into play here. There is learning to endure and learning to tell yourself no. Job made up his mind when he was a young man that he would serve the Lord, cleave to good, and abhor evil, that he would stick with God. And you know that his life came through some challenges, but he had that endurance because he had a made-up mind. And... um, Whenever we get off the broad path uh, where, where most of our friends walk, we end up finding we're on the narrow path. It's about making choices against one thing and a choice for something else. That's why the scripture said in James, abhor evil and cling to that which is good. Now, choosing to do right is not always easy. Amen? But God's grace is going to see you through. You're going to face temptation. You're going to face calamity in life. It's unavoidable. But through fasting and prayer, you gain the endurance to make it through life's challenges, to make it through life's uh, battles. And if you don't have the power of a made-up mind, you will be at the mercy of the lust of your flesh. Amen. Praise God. That's why it's important with fasting. It's, It's not about just, well, we'll see if this works for me. It's about making up your mind and doing this because you are building strength, spiritual endurance, resistance, and strength so that later on, when you're faced with challenges and temptations, you've got enough in you to say, nope, and mean it, and mean it. It's the ability to tell yourself, no, that's what fasting does. It creates self-denial. This ability that when your flesh is tempted to be able to say no. That's why if you're going to fast for three days, fast for three days. Don't fast for a day and then take a day off and then come back 
and then say, well, we'll see what happens, and then come back. Do what you commit to do because you're learning, amen, to tell your flesh no. You're learning endurance and you're learning, amen, to hold on to the commitments that you made to God because this commitment that you make in fasting for three days or five days could be translated to another commitment, a commitment to stay faithful to your wife, a commitment to be pure until you're married. These commitments take the same kind of endurance and commitment and ability to last and say no that it takes to fast. And you're learning, amen, you're learning these disciplines because when you're living for God, temptation's gonna come. You can, you can just bet on it. It's going to happen. And fasting and prayer gives you the endurance. It gives you the tenacity to be able to tell your flesh no. And if you can't tell your flesh no, devil can run you around wherever he wants to. When you learn to tell your flesh no, amen. And, and you'll see this. You'll see this during this time of fasting. You'll notice your flesh losing its strength. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't mean just your body gets weak. I mean that the allure of this world begins to diminish. And the voice of your flesh begins to silence. And at the end of the fast, the end of a, of a long time of fasting, oftentimes my desire for food has diminished so much, right, that I don't immediately pick up the weight again that, that, that you've lost during the fasting. Some people do, some people don't. But the point is, is something has happened in your flesh and you're thinking just about the fact that food no longer is dragging you wherever it wants to go. But what about the other things that appeal to your flesh that have lost their strength during this time? Something happens, something powerful happens, uh, amen, when our, our flesh is told no, amen. Praise God. So fasting teaches us how to make up our mind and tell our flesh no. And you will be tested. You will be tested. Somebody said amen. Because uh, I don't know if anybody here experienced it, that um, Monday when you started the fast was the day that your boss brought donuts to work. Or the day that Tuesday, or, or next week on the juice fast on Tuesday, your boss is going to say, let's all go out to lunch. It's on me today. And you're like, he never does that. Surely he never does that. Or somebody shows up and you don't want to um, be a stick in the mud. You're going to be tested just like Job was tested. But he had made up his mind years before, back when he was seeing all the blessings, he made up his mind how he would respond to God. Just like Daniel took a stand with those, ten, those young men. He rejected the delicacies of the king. I want you to check this out. Daniel reject, said no to the king's meat. Went on a Daniel's fast. And that same determination that, that he used to say no to the king's meat was the same determination that he used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they said bow down to the image. Daniel, when they said stop praying or we're going to put you in the lion's den. They picked up some determination through fasting. I think it's cool when you notice it. This happened first. It was setting them up. They learned to tell their flesh no so that later when the stakes were high, they already knew how to tell their flesh no. Later when it was a bigger issue, they already knew how to tell their flesh no. And sometimes when, you're, when you push away from the plate, it seems like, well, what's the purpose of this right here? What, what's the significance? I just missed a meal. What's the significance? You learned how to tell your flesh no because there's another time when it's going to be more significant that you have to tell your flesh no. And it's what you learn during these times that give you the determination, the ability to put your flesh in check. And instead of being influenced by culture, Daniel and these young men took a stand and began to affect culture. Praise God. The last thing I want to share with you as we bring this to a close here is um, a story. Um, it's a very interesting story. It's about a man named uh, Carlos Hathcock. Have you guys heard of Carlos Hathcock before? He was a marine sniper back during the vietnam era 
And he was very well known for performing 93 confirmed kills. Now, he wasn't just somebody out indiscriminately shooting at the enemy. He was a sniper, and so he had specific targets that often were high-ranking individuals or high-ranking targets that he was trained meticulously in the art of being a marine sniper. And these guys were trained through, anybody heard of Hell Week before? The, where, where, where the Marines would be for an entire week deprived of food, deprived of sleep in extreme, extreme situations. Denied of all the things that a human would need, sleep and food, to endure through it. And so many times, Carlos Hathcock, after all of this training, becoming a very skilled sniper, would be given jobs to do, uh, kills to accomplish that were very demanding. And one of the most demanding ones is uh, highlighted in the book, The Story of His Life, about a high-level ranking person that he needed to take out. But it was... From the, from the edge of the area where he was covered, he had to go through an area where he was wide open. And it was 1,500 yards. 1,500 yards. Not a real long way. But he had to do it in such a way where he could get the shot off, get out of there, and try to survive, not be spotted out there in the open area right next to the camp of the enemy. It was... 1,500 yards of open field that he had to crawl like a worm through to get to the place where he had predetermined was where he could take that shot and accomplish the successful kill that he was sent to do. You know how long it took him to crawl for 1,500 yards? Inch by inch, not being detected. It took four days. Four days. And the story, I'll spare you all the details, but he had just... A, little, a small amount of water that he was nursing just a little bit during this time, crawling inch by inch. And during that time, uh, uh, one time there was a snake in the path that came right face to face, and he just froze and stared at it, and it stared at him, and then it went on. Talked about the sores uh, as he crawled inch by inch, the bugs all over him the extreme thirst, overwhelming fatigue, extreme hunger, to the point where he almost saw himself losing grip with reality as he crept inch by inch through this field. And uh, during this time, a couple days in, he began to have a battle in his mind. And in his mind compromise began to tempt him he was a little over halfway there he had gone 800 yards and it was 1500 yards to where he knew he had a 100% chance of success but at 800 yards he knew there was a good chance a very good chance that he could do the kill successfully from there and so at 800 yards there were two voices that began to talk to him two voices that began to speak in his head. One of them said, you've come far enough, you've suffered enough, you can do it from here. You can successfully do the kill from this distance. And the other voice said, stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. Don't change things now. Stick to the plan. Because if you stick to the plan, you have a better chance of survival. And the story goes that he listened to the second voice. And even though he felt he had a good chance to accomplish the kill from there, he continued another day and a half crawling inch by inch and getting to the place where he was able to successfully accomplish his mission. He stuck to the plan. And the reason in the book it said that he stuck to the plan. He said, 
I decided that I was going to stick with the plan that I made when I was in my right mind. Stick with the plan that I made when I sat and thought about it and made the decision. I wasn't going to change my mind in the middle when I was under the stress and under the pressure and feeling the heat. I was going to stick with the plan that I made from the very beginning. And when I preach and teach to young people, when I encourage them about a commitment to purity in their lives, I say, you need to make this commitment now when you're in your right mind and learn how to endure and tell yourself no. Because if you wait till you're in the middle of the battle to decide where the lines are going to be, you're going to make some mistakes. Do I have some moms and dads that can say amen? Fasting and prayer help build the kind of endurance and confidence you need to stay focused and victorious in battle and not make stupid choices when the pressure's on. You build this endurance. During a fast, everything within you will cry out for comfort. Just one little bite of cake. Just one piece of carne asada. That's all I want. But I'm encouraging you to stay focused on what you decided before your flesh started crying out. Be focused. Do you see how this translates? Because when you get in other situations and your flesh starts to cry out, do you have that endurance? Do you have the ability to stay focused on what you decided you're going to do? Did you make up your mind? Did you make up your mind you weren't going to drink any more alcohol? Did you make up your mind? Did you make up your mind you were going to stay faithful to your spouse? Did you make up your mind? Did you make up your mind you weren't going to be defiled by the filth of this world? When temptation comes and when the pressure comes on, do you have the endurance to make it all the way to the end? Amen? All the way to the end, knowing that God is going to bless you. This is what fasting and prayer does. This is some of the fringe side benefits of fasting and prayer. The moment you decide, you decide you've gone too far with God to turn around, you begin to see his hand at work in your life. I've gone too far to turn around. I've made too much of a commitment. And uh, don't be the one that compromises whenever the going gets tough. Because that's the Reuben spirit. The Bible says when you're like Reuben, you will not excel. You never will experience everything that God has for you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. So all the great men of the Bible fasted, Moses and David and Nehemiah and Daniel, Elijah, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and Jesus Christ himself. So when we're fasting, we are feeding our spirit by neglecting our flesh because we're usually doing the other thing around, neglecting our spirit by feeding our flesh. Praise God. And I have one question. Prayer and fasting was a big part of the life of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't it be a big part of our life as well? It was an important part of the life of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't it be a big part of ours as well? Let's stand together right now. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I remember when I was much younger, there were times when we would have consecration services. And a consecration service was when we determined to clean some stuff out. Anybody remember what I'm talking about with the consecration? With these consecration services, there would be uh, young people that would bring things that represented temptation in their life things that uh, they had allowed to come into their life that they were pretty sure weren't bringing them closer to God, whether it was music or um, some kind of uh, activity that had taken over their life, and they would throw it on the altar. Or sometimes I remember a couple occasions where we had a big um, metal drum that we built a fire in, and we would throw these things in the fire. Sometimes it was things we would write on paper as representative of what we were 
throwing in or it was actual literal things that we would throw in. It was consecration. It was a time. And this is what brings about, this is what initiates renewal. It initiates renewal. It's a purging and a cleansing as prompted and led by the Spirit. It's a breaking and a humbling of our flesh. And I know tonight we're not shouting and jumping around, rejoicing and high-fiving. But the Bible says sometimes we've got to afflict ourselves and mourn and trade in our laughter for just getting serious with God for a minute and saying, Lord, if you find anything in me that's creating problems and issues, during this time, Lord God, I pray that you would purge and cleanse me. And, it, and it's going to happen. I'm telling you, it's going to happen that the Lord will begin to deal with you. So before we leave here today, I wonder if we could, during this, right in the middle of this first part of our, our two weeks of focused fasting from, from types of food, I wonder if we could say a prayer in our own place right now, a prayer of commitment and consecration to the Lord. Could we pray that way right now? Lord Jesus, I made my mind up a long time ago, and I know the enemy has come in, I know there have been times when I've had an opportunity to make bad decisions. And I know I've been tempted, Lord God. But I made my mind up, Lord Jesus, that I'm going to follow you. And I'm committing myself to you, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd give me strength for the journey. And I'm asking, Lord God, that you would uh, bring all the pride out of my flesh, Lord Jesus. So that I can honor you, Lord God, and so that your spirit can flow through me, Jesus. And during this week, Lord God... Let me take full advantage of this and not just be miserable. But, Lord God, I pray through the process of breaking, Lord Jesus. I pray through this process, Lord God, that endurance would come, that strength would come, Lord God, to my spirit man, that I would spiritually begin to thrive, Lord God, that I would be purged, that my productivity, Lord Jesus, would come back for the kingdom of God, that my desire and drive and appetite for spiritual things would come back, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus, let there be a renewal in my spirit, Lord God. Let there be a renewal within me, Lord Jesus. Let there be renewed strength and vigor, Lord God. God and fight and faith uh, in the name of Jesus I thank you Lord God for what you're going to do and I thank you Lord Jesus in faith for what you're doing in me and God I pray Lord Jesus that you would forgive me forgive me and wash me and cleanse me Lord Jesus uh, and let me be be made every whit whole in the name of Jesus Christ we pray and everybody shout out amen praise the Lord let's clap our hands to the Lord right now